Okay, so um, what's coming up is a chat I had with uh, Sergio Brodsky. So me and Sergio uh, go back a wee while. We both uh, worked at um, IPG agencies in Melbourne at the same time, different agencies, but on the on the same floor. So, um, but we would uh, meet in the the kitchen by the coffee machine and sort of uh, have a good complain. Uh, about things from time to time, so um, yeah, but we've known each other for a while. So what we talk about first of all, Sergio's got uh, quite an interesting uh, background from training as a IP lawyer and studying cognitive science. Uh, little surprise uh, come up in that in, um, in in that little piece, then eventually getting into branding and advertising, um, and very very clever guy he's uh and you know has developed you know some of his own really uh, quite different thinking and hypothesis um around uh, what the future uh, of marketing communications uh, or at least part of that future what what it might look like and it's not just sort of um you know finger in the air you know tinfoil suits type future this is uh you know some quite you know i really get into um into the root of uh the role of advertising marketing brands uh in the world you know and maybe uh maybe what we expect from brands has has changed and so the nature of uh brand communications uh changed and also um and then at the end um we talk about his latest uh, sort of sub venture as a sort of independent uh, consultant, although with uh, along with a business partner, uh, a quite a unique little um, agency type uh, operation that they've that they've built to um, to look at one particular emerging uh, channel uh, or platform. Is it a channel? Is it a platform? Is it a network? that we discuss and uh, he's the expert so I will bow to Sergio's definition. It's a sort of uh, long-winded uh, intro for me but uh, without further ado Sergio Brodsky. Okay. Hi, Sergio. How are you? Hey, Ian. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You still, are you still uh, locked down and uh, not, not going out? Or, um... No, well, I'm, I'm dodging it. Uh, okay. I go out carefully. I saw, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, I saw yesterday, because now they're in Melbourne, where we both are, obviously, or there about, there's a whole bunch of sort of postcodes have all been totally locked down but is that near yeah. is that near where you are or are you away from that thankfully it's not i'm in a safe area oh, so right. that's good yeah well, that's good well me too because i'm down the peninsula which is sort of you know in the oh, middle of middle, middle of nowhere so uh <laughs> i think i think in the whole in the whole sort of corona thing we've only had one confirmed case within like a 50k radius of, of where oh I'm wow at. yeah very yeah. lucky yeah Cool. Okay, let's let's get into it. So, um, 
before just before we get into the sort of couple of uh topics we're going to talk about do you want to just because you've got um quite an interesting sort of career path and that you know and you studied different things and then do you want to just tell us how you ended up in well first of all how you ended up in advertising how you ended up in australia as well oh okay Right, so it's. Uh, I'll try to compress in uh, five-ish minutes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a whole novel that my mom is still hoping that I, that, that I write one day. Yeah, but, I'm. I'm uh, hoping. I'm hoping too. So obviously, we've known, <laughs> we've known each other for a while, and I've managed yeah. to crank out a couple of mediocre books. But I think uh, your, you know, your books are going to be far cleverer than mine if you can actually <laughs> get it together to write them. But. Well, maybe, maybe we should, but the story begins in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where this funny accent comes from. Mm. Uh, I, I started my career as an IP lawyer, and uh, when I finished law school, I wrote a dissertation about hackers and how hackers were disrupting IP law through, through digital technologies. Okay. And that was just when Metallica was suing Napster. Metallica was the first artist to sue Napster, and then many others uh, uh, followed, followed suit. I found that to be a fascinating topic, a fascinating moment in uh, legal history, even, yeah. and, you know, technology as well, and business. And I decided to write a paper about that. Uh, it turned out that I got a 100% mark on that. Uh, I so had the copyright... What, what were your conclusions? My conclusions were that hackers have this mission to make information free, which is a very noble cause. The problem with that is that we, very, we had very much reached a conundrum where to have access to information, you must first have to copy that. And that is exactly what Napster was doing. It was copying the information, the bits and bytes behind songs to make them available to people. Okay. So, so, and, and, and that was a big tension that I was exploring and how to interpret that in the context of the courtroom. Yeah. So I was trying to understand the mindset of hackers, yeah. why they were doing that, how they were doing that, and how were users also using that. If, so, if uh, I, to, yeah, I was gonna say, if I yeah. remember correctly, one of the arguments back in the day with Napster and LimeWire and things like that was that in the digital content, you know, there was no original, so it, it can't necessarily be a copy because they're, uh, you know, because it, because of the digital nature of the of the file, you can't point to something and say that's the original and these are copies. They're all just instances of the of the same thing or if that's, I, yeah that's that's an interesting point and that you know that that's a way of looking at it but even a, a, a digital file has a, a ownership as well mm. and this ownership must be respected when you look at copyright yeah. law yeah so that was a big problem yeah, yeah. well and then and so uh yeah, and, and then and the, the and logical then, next step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then the logical next step from that. So I, I, wrote, I wrote that thing, and uh, that uh, was very well received. It opened a few doors for me. Most of them were uh, in the state in the space of IP law, which I at that point I, I was already sick and tired. I I had to find something else. Uh, I was in a, in a bit of a soul searching uh, 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 ears. 
Uh, and uh, I, I got the opportunity to study cognitive science and that took me to Israel. I went to the Hebrew University in, in Jerusalem, which has one of the top five brain research institutes in the world. And I was there to do a master's in cognitive science. Right. Now uh, that's, but that, I, is that university, yeah. is that where Kahneman and Tversky did their work? Is it because you're were... absolutely right. That's where they did the work. And I had a, my, 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 my first magna class was with, uh, uh, with Kahneman, Danny Kahneman, which was oh. incredible. Yeah. Goodness me. That, that was a very unique experience for me. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't spend too much time learning how the mind works. I've, uh, as in, in a formal way, uh, informally, yes, it still, it still is a topic that really fascinates me. But uh, uh, what happened was that I, I was approached by a drone manufacturing company, a high-tech military company that back then had just engaged with Angola, the government of Angola, to sell their technology. And as you may know, in Angola, they speak Portuguese and that company needed someone who could speak Portuguese, a few other languages and had a background in IP. As a Brazilian man, Portuguese is my native language and IP uh, was uh, back then in my, 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 my strongest core competence. Yes. So uh, I decided to defer the degree and uh, uh, as it turned out, I spent the following two years seven levels underground working in this maximum security military compound uh but that that was also when where i learned everything about innovation it was a okay. really a fascinating experience okay so not From, not yeah so all that time spent underground in a secret bunker that must have you know been just like working at ipg yeah, when we were <laughs> something like that <laughs> something like that yeah uh, at I ipg i think we had more natural light coming in yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I didn't have that luxury yeah. working in this, this military company, but it was it was it was really enlightening. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, uh, it really accelerated all my notions around innovation as well. Yeah. Uh, like it or not, uh, every single innovation that comes to market would would have had a start in the battlefield, yeah. from the wristwatch to the bullpen to drones and and so many other things. Everything yeah. starts there. Yeah, I remember uh, many years ago. Um, uh, for a little while, I worked um, at a gaming uh, company, mm. you know, and uh, and all of uh, uh, this company, all the developers that you know that actually did all the back end stuff for these games were all based in Israel, and they were ex Israeli army, like uh, rocket scientists, you know. So it's oh, kind wow. of it's uh, it's a real sort of uh, you know it's interesting. You talk about you know. The amount of innovation mm. that came out of military labs and everything, but I mean, particularly Israel, for some reason, just seemed to be a, uh, you know, because it wasn't just us. It was, you know, it seemed to be a, um, it was like a Silicon Valley before Silicon Valley existed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, a, a nation that is uh, so poor in natural resources needs mm. to find other ways to generate, uh, you know, an income. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, innovation and technology is very much at, you know part of the DNA of the of yeah. the startup nation as as they are known. Okay. Uh, but then during that time, I met my wife. She wasn't uh, working in the same place. She was doing something completely different. And at that time, my wife's family they were living in Australia. None of them are Australians, but they they happen to be living here. And uh, uh, we got married both our contracts were coming to an end and uh, her parents 
uh, were very convincing to, uh, to for in, in terms of relocating to Australia. I didn't want to just come here, you know, and land on a parachute. I wanted to find, have a job yeah. uh, before coming to Australia as a, as a responsible, newly, newly wed man. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I went, I went on a search again and I found a really interesting opportunity with uh, the Spotlight Retail Group. And that was something that was part of, uh, of, of, of a project from one of the founders, that uh, Mr. Ruben Fried, who always had this desire of bringing people, people from outside of the business to learn everything about the business, improve it, and then expand it. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that was basically my remit. I, I went through a whole selection process. I passed, uh, got, got hired. They, they brought us over. And I, w- I worked on, on a business improvement capacity. Mm. My first four months were spent inside uh, a stinky dispatch. That was the dispatch from uh, their first store from uh, maybe 40 years ago. That store doesn't even exist anymore. But I spent four months opening cardboard boxes. And that was possibly the most valuable time during my, my three years with the, with the business. That's where yeah. I learned everything about the, the product, the flow of merchandise, uh, the relationships with the suppliers, uh, how re- uh, the, the, the retail staff was uh, uh, was dealing with the product as well. That was super, super, super important, really, really valuable. But uh, if I fast forward a year and a half on that on that program, because that was really a program, I was spending you know different chunks of time across different departments of the business. Uh, I find myself in the marketing department a year and a half later when the company had decided to do a brand refresh. Not so much a repositioning, but a refresh. Sharpening up you know, so, some edges, reducing the, the huge number of products, SKUs, that mm. they had, which, was, uh, which made you know, um, uh, product management extremely complex, but also you know, t- had, had been turning the business into a discount type of shop. Too, too much clearances, too much, you know, uh, 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 stock count, sales, and mm. that wasn't good for the brand. Uh, and, and, and then I was tasked to refreshing the brand. I didn't know much about it, but I was offered support. Uh, I did it. I delivered the project and uh, was also a pivoting moment for me when I realized that this is what I want to do when I grow up. Mm-hmm. I want to work in this wonderful wor- world of brands. Uh, and the thing that attracted me the most was the combination of uh, strategic thinking, creativity, communications, many aspects of uh, change management, all of the commercial implications as well. So this whole combination felt really, really compelling. Yeah. And uh, be- and because during that same time, the global financial crisis, and that was 11, 12 years ago, was also a had just hit Australia, all of those expansion plans of taking the business overseas were then put on hold. My job had be, had uh, changed quite dramatically. I was lucky enough to not have lost the job, but it changed a lot uh, and it became really boring. So uh, not really what I had signed up for. So we decided to once again, pack things up, move to the UK. I did my MBA there and I felt that an MBA would be a good bridge for me to continue moving forward without you know, having to go a few mm-hmm. steps back, learn all the basics of brand building, brand management, brand strategy to then progress 
uh, on a career in that space. Mm. So the MBA felt like the right bridge and it, it, it indeed worked in this way because uh, as soon as I finished my MBA, I, was, I already had a job lined up with WPP when I was uh, the, wor the, the worldwide strategist for Brand Union, which is now Super Union, uh, that I believe is the flagship brand consultancy for WPP. Okay. So that's that that that's what took me out uh, out of uh, Australia to England and into advertising. Yeah. Do you think because there's um, you know there's different points of view on how valuable or how necessary um, uh, MBA is for uh, you know for marketing people or, uh, or 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 even you know in 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 business and obviously you took the um, you know, you decide to go and do it, um, mm -hmm. but you know, but there's plenty of people, very competent people mm. with, with no formal training, uh, or or just that have just picked up on the job. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to be biased to say, well, it was worth it because you paid for it and did it. But do you think, you know, do, and would you say, um, as a, does it undermine the profession? the fact that a formal qualification isn't necessary. You know, like for instance, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or something, you have to have the, the qualification, mm -hmm. but you can, but anyone can walk in advertising and marketing uh, hmm. and, and, uh, and, and if they can talk a good game, you know, they can wing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really good point. And it's, it's something that Mark Ritson has been advocating for a while now and, you know, pointing yeah. his finger towards the bad marketers that yeah. are ruining the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if only they would sign up for his MBA course, of course. <laughs> well, that's that's a very good uh, uh, sales speech as well. But you know, it's it's truth. It's yeah. th th there's nothing that is that is that is not true there as well. Uh, and here are my guinea pigs screaming. I don't know if you can hear. Uh, I was say, they sound that doesn't sound like normal screaming. Are you? <laughs> they sound like parrots. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, yes, I do, I do, I do believe that the lack of qualifications, the lack of training, is something that undermines the the, the profession, undermines the industry, and uh, and you know, and and ends up with uh, a poorer outcome yeah. that is now tarnishing the, the name of many marketers yeah. because of that. So yes, I, I I don't think that you know the MBA is the solution for that. The MBA is uh, is what 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 I tell people is that to do an uh, doing an MBA, an MBA needs to be a, a part of a contextual choice. Yeah. Uh, it's not a silver bullet for anything. Doing an, an MBA does not mean that you you will know everything about business. You will certainly be exposed to many things that, I, at least I had not been in the past. Yeah. Even though my 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 uh, work at uh, Spotlight was very much like an MBA on, on the job yeah. because I was going through all the different areas of the business from HR to operations to supply chain, marketing, etc., buying uh, and all that. But uh, the th the th learning the theory is important. Learning the theory is valuable, but practicing it is what can really make make a difference, yeah. difference for you. So I think that someone that comes with uh, with a good talk uh, uh, about advertising, marketing in general, I think uh, will we'll, we'll fall short on the deliverables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. All right, mm. cool. Well, listen, that was that was supposed to be a five-minute intro before we got into the 
into the big <laughs> topics of um, the last uh, I don't know, tw 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. um, okay, fast forward. So this is, um, I, I just wanted to, to pick your brains really about this. Um, so this is um, your sort of almost proprietary sort of uh, theory that you've been, uh, so I use theory with uh, small t rather than big t you've been developing mm -hmm. over the last uh, few years, which which you've kind of coined urban brand utility, right? And so I'm going to quote from your sort of written version, which you call a projected future for brand communications as a regenerative force in the global urban fabric. Um, yeah. So that's, 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 a, that's, that's a fancy description. For yeah. I was going to say, we've just talked about, uh, you know, people coming into marketing without any formal training. You know, I think if you said that sentence to them, they would look very blankly at you because, uh, <laughs> because it, does, yeah. it does require a bit of uh, thinking. Luckily, I sort of uh, uh, get it. But um, the, um, you know, just sort of in, in the sort of lead into this, I guess the, the idea of brand utility or brand ed utilities something that's been been around for a little while i guess um when i first sort of so maybe even this is maybe even 20 years ago started first uh thinking about this but the example that always used to, used to be given was uh was the michelin guide right which was uh uh which michelin produced you know the idea was to get um to get motorists to drive around France more, uh, and then they would buy more mm. tires, you know, and it gave them a reason uh, to do it. So that's that sort of brand utility. But I guess within your framework of, of brand utility, that would not be a good example because from a sustainability and uh, uh, point of view and, you know, burning up resources, that's, you know, that's... Yeah. That's not a good one. But but before we get get into that, I just um, so the way the way you describe it, I wonder if you could just give us a bit of uh, explanation around uh, what you call strategic foresight and futures thinking. So this is a kind of this is your kind of thinking tool, I guess, that brought you to urban brand utility. But just you know, for people who are not familiar with those kind of terms, particularly me. Yeah. <laughs> what is, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think I understand that, but, but specifically, you know, how is that different from just uh, from just normal strategic thinking? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, let me start from the beginning. So strategic foresight as a, as a, as a strategist, I have always been uh, uh, working towards further equipping my 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 utility belt right yeah as i as i as i was telling you before i started at uh, you know with brand strategy i moved to media strategy i became a strategist for media agencies uh, uh did work on creative briefs as well so creative strategy as well uh, and i mean i'm always looking at other types of uh, uh strategic processes informing an output and you know in innovation there is there is always a process as well there are many methods as well so innovation strategy is also something that i have investigated and practiced quite a lot 
But one thing that felt like uh, an area that I didn't know much and have always been quite curious about was uh, strategic foresight. And strategic foresight is about projecting a desired future. Right. That's what it's all about. It's not about predicting the future. It's about designing the future. No, no one can really predict the future. It's an impossible task. So any, any, any article, any, any, anything that has the word predictions on it, yeah. you can already start yeah. to discredit because yeah. who knows, right? No one has... has there a, used to be a little... Uh, there was a catchphrase people used to say, which was the best way to predict the future is to invent it. So is that... Exactly. Does that, does that fall out of that? Yeah. Yes, I, it's probably William Gibson. Okay. If, uh, if, if not him, you know, would be some one of his contemporaries, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, yeah, the future, the future is not there to be to be predicted. The future is, you know, exists to be created, and it's yeah. up to us to create the future we desire to be in. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there are many futurists out there, right? There will be, and you know, just like uh, the ad man that is untrained, there will be many people that are self-proclaimed futurists. Yes. And it's 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 not yeah, and it's not you know just putting a cape on and having a crystal ball yeah. to be a futurist. That these yeah. are these are all charlatans. Yeah. They are not the people that we should. Yeah. I think be to be fair, to be fair, that's this is probably one or two. Uh, or maybe more, you know, genuinely uh, have some kind of uh, something to say about that. But it's funny, I wrote about this, uh, the bullshit industrial complex, you know, where, mm. where you've got what you've got a bunch of genuine people who have some sort of insight into what might be coming down the road. But then there's a bunch of people who get secondhand information from them and then third hand, fourth hand, and then you get really noisy people on social media that have, don't actually have anything original to say. They've got, they've, they're parroting some sort of third hand version of, uh, of someone else's futurism. But unfortunately, that's the stuff that, that you know, that seems to yeah. be most, most widespread. Yeah, it's uh, regurgitations over regurgitations. That's yeah. that's that's what you tend to find. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, I I I didn't I did I I I chose I chose really well. I chose uh, to learn from uh, the person that treats it in a very professional way, uh, and someone that is uh, very well recognized in that space. I did a course with uh, Professor Soheyo Inayatullah who is uh, uh, the chair of uh, futures studies at the UNESCO. Right. So uh, someone, someone that, 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 that deals with this discipline in a very serious way, someone yeah. who works with organizations such as the Interpol, the UN, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Asian Development Bank, the World Bank, and so many others yeah. in, in, in terms of projecting desired futures, how to yeah. improve uh, uh, the present that we're living towards a future that we all desire to be yeah. so so that's who i learned from and and helped helped me a lot to shape my ideas to shape in, in a better way and in a way that they they can also manifest and not not just be an expression uh, yeah. that you know and, and as you know words can dilute in, in thin air yeah. actions is what really make what yeah. can really make a difference so uh, with, 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 that, with that new knowledge, uh, I was able to, to formalize urban brand utility 
as a theory with a, with a smaller T, but hopefully a, a theory that will get a capital T in a few months, because I am now, I, I was invited to write a chapter for a, for a Routledge book, one of those handbooks uh, that they have, and it will be a handbook on marketing, and I'll be authoring a chapter about the use of strategic foresight and use of uh, uh, futures techniques in marketing. Yeah. And urban brand utility will be will be will be mentioned on that chapter, so I guess that will give me that that stamp of credibility. That is yeah. just it's it's just it's not just talk. Yeah. It actually comes with a, a very rigorous academic yeah. uh, view behind that. Brilliant! Well, congratulations. How did that come about? Did they? Um... How, how did you get approached so for, for that, that, that actually came from a professor Soheil because uh, okay. he, he contributed with a chapter about futures only, but Routledge wanted to have a view around futures in marketing. And yeah. then he approached me and say, can you help me with that? Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah, it's an honor yeah. of, to doing this. So urban brand utility, you want to know what this is about, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So uh, I won't be using jargon or, you know, futures frameworks to talk about it. I'll, I'll tell you about my experience and how this was born. The, the, listeners, the listeners are all pretty smart. So, uh, you know, you don't have to dumb it down too much. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So uh, urban utility, as you said before, yeah, the, the, there's the Michelin case from, I think, 1908. Yeah. Uh, early 1900s when they came up with the Michelin Guide. Uh, which was definitely a form of, of a branded utility, helping drivers, motorists have more fun mm. uh, uh, on the road and stopping at, you know, all those wonderful restaurants. But urban brand utility is uh, also around the idea of helping customers, helping people, but in, in, a, in, a, in, in the context of cities. Mm. And the reason why I use cities is because of the degree of urbanization that we are now experiencing. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we currently have 76% of the world being urbanized. Yeah. Uh, by 2030, we're going to have another billion people migrating to cities. And, uh, and by 2050, I, I believe that over 86% of the world will be urbanized. And this yeah. is, these are all numbers from the, from the World Bank. Yeah. So cities are really really important in this context because yeah. it's it they, they, they are the context that are framing uh, reality to yeah. a great extent it's funny so i mean that i was going to yeah. say that trend is is you know one of the sort of rare instances possibly where australia is leading the world you know because i think we're about 90 percent urban yeah yeah country. we are we are definitely a very urbanized nation and australia is definitely leading in that in the sense and uh, but but then again, you know what what does that mean, right? What does it mean? And now with coronavirus, you know, it, all of these characteristics of cities become very uh, have become very uh, salient, really, yeah. in terms of how resilient cities can be. And yeah. there's been a lot of a lot of commentary about New York specifically that uh, New York is suffering because of coronavirus because of density and density is not the reason the reason is overcrowded areas so yeah. overcrowding is something that is bad for corona uh, and spread of diseases but not so much density density yeah. is quite the opposite density well, that, is a source of resilience yeah. I was going to say the other thing I, I, so I, don't, I, I don't know how if this is 100% true 
but um but i was told that you know one of the problems with the uh, corona in new york is because so many of these big apartment buildings uh, in new york they kind of share an aircon system to a degree so oh. it's the, so it's the same thing you know so you've got an apartment block with a thousand apartments it's the one system that's pumping the aircon through all of those apartments so it's just like a you know it's just a recipe for disease isn't it? everyone's breathing yeah. the same air yeah no that's that that's a really good point and and when you talk about diseases and and you know diseases that are carried on the air yeah. uh 80% of all diseases that urban dwellers dwellers suffer they come from air pollution yeah. 80% right and uh, and uh, back when we had the bushfires here in Australia there was there was a, a huge surge on several different types of diseases only because of that yeah. So, so clean, clean, ha having clean air is not just a nice to have. It's not just something that will help you see the sights uh, better. It's not something you know. It's not just a feel. It's something that is very important and something that has has huge costs for local governments to yeah. to manage that. Because a, a city with uh, with dirty air, with polluted air, will have more sick people, and with more sick people, you will have less tax contributions. Uh, and with more sick people, you have more people using uh, the public uh, 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 health system. Yeah. And because of that, uh, th there will be an increase on, on, on the costs to managing uh, you know, the whole infrastructure mm. as well. So urban brand utility comes to address that issue and comes to also reconnect uh, in, in a much better way people, uh, government, and the private private sector then represented by brands, yeah. and, and and the whole idea is that we should be we should be able to use media not only as as a way to delivering messages, but as a way to deploying a public utility service. Mm. And when it, when it comes to air quality, there, there are so many examples of uh, of campaigns that did that in really interesting ways yeah. uh, from a blue boards with that are able to to clean the air to just suck the air and that was a, a campaign that was done by the university of technology in lima in peru after a construction boom in 2017 yeah. that saw uh, air pollution increasing quite dramatically so they they, they built that uh, uh, that billboard uh, that is able to absorb as much CO2 as 1,200 trees. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like a, a mini forest in yeah. one billboard. Imagine if that is taken to a, to a wholesale approach. Yeah. If every single billboard in every single city in the world is able to filter the air. So with with the, so I I remember that um, campaign, but with with something like that, you know, you think well that's you know that's beyond. Uh, advertising community, you know, that's that's in the innovation space that, that you're talking about. Yeah. Why, um, you know, presumably, uh, well, I don't know. You can tell me. I mean, is that billboard still there? Is it still working? And if you know, and why aren't why hasn't that been a catalyst for, you know, because if it can yeah. do the work of two hundred trees, you would think, right, we should. If that's can be made. Why? Why? Why, why, why isn't Why isn't the mainstream right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very, very good question. So uh, as, as it turns out, you know, and it's not, not really a surprise, uh, campaigns like this, and I have so many, so many case studies that I've been collecting over the years, 
they, they are great to win awards. They are not really that great to solve real uh, uh, pressing issues that society right. faces. And, uh, uh, and that's why, you know, I've been advocating over brand utility because underpinning the idea is a circular revenue model. And this circular revenue model is what I believe can turn, you know, this this one-off activations, these one-off stunts, into into sustained innovation, into innovation that becomes a core part of a business, and not just, you know, sitting on the adjacency to collect an award, you know, uh, yeah. in in can. Yeah. So uh, uh, this 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 revenue model is pretty simple. Uh, let's let's assume that uh, in Lima, in Peru. Uh, that, that that billboard was able in that, that clean the air was able to save a lot of money from the local government in Lima from uh, from the city of Lima the, the, you know the town hall uh, uh, they were able, it was able to save let's say 10 million dollars from all of the trickle down effect that it had right it mm. cleaned the air less people less people were sick less people were, were having to use uh, uh, the, the health service system uh, less more people were, were being productive, more people were contributing with taxes. Mm -hmm. Let's so assume that, that, you know, so this I, is, yeah. this is your idea. This is your circular economy. That's right. That's yeah. it. Right. So let's, let's assume, you know, out of all of those uh, 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 items from this trickle down effect, the city of Lima was able to save uh, $10 million, right? Mm -hmm. Because of that campaign in a period of three months. I'm just giving some hypothetical numbers here. Mm -hmm. uh, a smart mayor will not want that to be a one-off activation. We want that to be something that is sustained. And uh, if, if for, if let's say for three months or you know how, however long that billboard was uh, was standing and uh, was being uh, 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 held by University of Lima, University of, of Technology of Lima, uh, why not another brand could take that same space and you know have that same functionality as well? Right, so it's about making it make, make, making it a long-term proposition. But the, the mayor of, of Lima, what he can think of is, uh, okay, I have ten million dollars in surplus. I'm going to retain five of that of those ten million dollars, and I'm going to redistribute the remaining fifty percent, with uh, twenty-five percent of that surplus going straight to the advertiser and 25% uh, be, being split between the agency that ran the, the campaign and 25 and and the, the other 12.5% going to the media owner uh, that uh, uh, made those improvements on, right. on 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 the channel to allow for that public utility service to be delivered but mm. with one with one important detail those credits or rebates or whatever financial instrument that is chosen to redistribute the surplus is only given on the second time that the advertiser, agency, and media owner uh, mm. roll out an urban brand utility program. So the first mm. time you do, great, you, you've, you've done it, it works, uh, we can quantify. If you want to do it again, here's an incentive, mm. here's a 25% incentive. So next time you do it, it becomes 25% cheaper. Or next time you do it, you can do 25% more of that. Or next time you do it, you can use this 25% incentive to try something slightly different. Hmm. So this is this is how the circular model works. And in the end, everyone wins hmm. because uh, the, the, the city uh, starts saving or generating new income streams through that. 
uh, advert the same for advertisers, the same for the agency, and the same for the media owner. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a win-win really, mm -hmm. and it's an approach that I've been uh, discussing with uh, the city of Melbourne quite closely. Uh, from uh, from the CMO down and and sideways as well and hopefully something will happen in uh, mm -hmm. in the coming months because it's it's been identified as as an opportunity for the city for Melbourne to continue leading the league tables of most livable cities in the world but mm -hmm. also a city with a bold vision and the yeah. bold vision that I told them that this could allow them to have is that you know if this becomes uh, 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 if this comes to fruition with the city, eventually we will be able to just put empty billboards because we'll be able to then advertise the air as yeah. the best air in the world. Yeah. So from a, th here's the thing. So from a, so from a brand perspective, you know what I've what I've noticed, or everyone's noticed, right? That it's actually not that hard to get brands to jump on what they perceive as some sort of social cause you know so the whole the the sort of um black lives matter uh, yeah. business right it's, you know every major brand that you can think of you know brought out one of those black squares and made a big statement about the, you know so there's definitely an appetite within, within brands to to get on board with something social now not to sort of uh you know, make a comparison between environmental mm -hmm. issues and, and social issues to do with racism or, or, or what have you. But, you know, it strikes me as there's more social benefit to for a brand, for brands to be getting involved in things that improve the environment for everyone. Yeah. Mm. So, what do you think? Yeah. But, but, you know, but it's a lot easier for them, easier just to make some token sort of gesture and stick up a hashtag about something. And then it's right, that's our social responsibility, job done, tick. What do you think the barrier is, apart from cost, obviously, I mean, it's going to be, you know, there's only about a certain size of brand can get involved uh, in, um, in, in one of these sort of utility type, you know, activities mm -hmm. but you know what do, what, what do you think uh, why do you think this you know apart from you know i mean obviously you know you've collected a number of, of examples but it's not mainstream by any stretch what do, mm -hmm. what, what do you think the barrier is um it, you know or how do you need to make it sexier i don't know hmm. uh i think i think it's a very sexy idea already yeah. I think that uh, the barrier is 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 that it 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 takes a village, right? I think right. that's the barrier. I think that it's a lot easier to just, as you said, you know, put a hashtag or come with some come up with some smart copy or you know interesting graphics to align yourself with uh, I don't know uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, Pink Ribbon, uh, and the many social movements out there. Mm -hmm uh is there is there value on doing things like this yes th th there's value as long as your words uh, your expression of, of your brand is not is not an empty one it's followed with an action mm -hmm. um 
what I'm proposing is action is, you know, as I said before, is, is using media beyond delivering only messages. Mm. So, uh, so the action is already baked in the campaign, mm. be it cleaning the air, cleaning water, growing food, uh, uh, and, and so much more. Right. Mm. I have, I have examples that, that will, you know, across every single area of, uh, of society, every mm. single public utility service. Uh, um, but the point here is that you know it, ta- it, it takes a village, right? We, mm. And that's and I've been I've been pursuing advertisers uh, for during my first three years of doing this thing, right? And, uh, and it took me all this time to realize that first I need a regulator to agree, and then I have a framework where ad- advertisers can consider the concept, mm-hmm. because if that is not present, it becomes a stunt, as we've as we've been seeing for many years now. All mm. of these stunts. So, uh, bringing governments, advertisers, big uh, uh, bodies such as the OMA, for instance, the, the Outdoor Media Association, to be part of that uh, as well, and and other uh, uh, bodies that can help govern this new proposition is mm. is is of utmost importance. That mm. that is the thing that I have not been able to crack yet, uh, but it's a journey. Uh, I mm. believe I'm getting closer and closer. By the day. <laughs> yeah, so just. I, I'm very hopeful. I'm opt- optimistic. Yeah. Well, well you've done. Just, just finish off this little bit. So you've got you've got a kind of uh, six strategic imperatives, right? Which is the so this is like the simple, you know, the one, two, three, four, five, six of, of UBU as a as a as a framework. So. Uh, and number one, I think this is the sort of critical one, which is translate the big idea into a big ability mm-hmm. that can operationalize its impact. Uh, now that's that's kind of easy to say, but it does require a different kind of creative thinking. Uh, it does. Um, it does. Yeah. Absolutely does. And this, this, I mean, this has been something that I identified as being one of the issues about brands, you know, that brands are always focusing on, uh, on the expression, because up until now, you know, it's been, it's been really hard to find ways to, to manifest an action. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, this is, you know, this could potentially become, you know, a new paradigm shift. So yeah. uh, how, how could Apple operationalize uh, humanizing technology as a as a utility, as a big yeah. utility, not a big idea. Yeah. So, so this is the challenge. Yeah. An interesting I mean, one. It is it is interesting, you know, because I think it's a bit like uh, you know, because you know, everyone, you know, well, there's the the idea of, of talking about traditional advertising or communication versus you know whatever digital or something, but it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Right? It's just it's the it's just the same. Thing, but the channels change everything exactly but 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 moving you know the big idea to a big utility idea that is a that is a big that's a, a conceptually a different way of thinking about uh, it's less about communications it's more about uh well i mean it is it's it's utility so where a brand you know previously well, not previously, but I mean currently. You know, there's one. I mean, for instance, there's one way to distinguish, uh, you know, a big uh, or a credible, stable brand versus a fly-by-night, you know, mm-hmm. uh, small brand, which is just how much money they invest in in quality media, right? So if you know, you, you, one thing you notice about Apple is they they never do programmatic advertising. They don't 
gather mm. any data. They don't retarget you. You know, they just put up great big billboards with their product on it. And you can infer, you can infer the quality of the product by the, the fact that they don't try and gather any information about you and they buy expensive media. So the utility idea is, it could be an extension of that. You know, if we think, well, it's getting harder and harder to reach people through conventional media means because of the fragmentation of everything that mm -hmm. uh, you know actually having an impact on and in, 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 you know, environments in which people live that's that's the new kind of advertising uh, that everyone's looking mm -hmm. for but they're looking in the wrong direction you know because it's you know and, you know people like you are shouting it's over here it's over here but they're looking the other way <laughs> looking that's for right that's right yes uh, it's uh it's it's very reassuring to hear that from you <laughs> because uh, i i completely agree i also yeah. think that you know everyone talking about old advertising or old marketing and new marketing new advertising just yeah. by using digital channels as yeah. uh, as 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 what adds newness to that is complete bullshit. Uh, nothing nothing really changes the, the yeah. rules of the game are still the same yeah i think what i'm proposing truly is you know a new form of advertising yeah. because here we see advertising communications media merging with uh, uh, welfare and security for instance yeah. and uh, w w where you know the the, the the annual budget the annual amount that brands spend in media and advertising is in the in the house of billions when it comes to welfare and security, it's in the house of trillions. Yeah. So if we're able to penetrate that space, uh, uh, the pie for advertisers become a lot bigger. And, and under this model that I, that I was just expl explaining before, what, what, what we can do is address a very serious issue that CMOs are facing today, which are budget cuts. And, yeah. and right now during this pandemic, we're seeing how, how badly budgets are being cut. So uh, with Urban Brand Utility, rather than having a marketing or advertising budget, you end up with your advertising investment fund because it yeah. grows. The more you do it, the more of a return you get it, that's you get it. from it. Yeah, I mean, it's the, that's the holy grail, isn't it? You know, marketing that actually, you know, generates money, you know, rather than yes. costs. Yeah. Exactly. Marketing yeah. as, as, as your profit engine, not as a yeah. cost center. Yeah. Fantastic. So, wh 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 why do you think people haven't adopted? That's my version. Do you agree with that? I do, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right behind it. You know, I think it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. The only um, you know, I think uh, you know, one of the sort of challenges, you know, because brands start small, you know, and then it takes some time to to get bit big. You know, I think to get involved, you, you know, it's kind of um, what am I trying to say? You, but know, you, I, you know you know what let me let me give you a good example of a very small brand and that is that is a, a pub in yeah. south africa in johannesburg right yeah. and uh, pub independent whatever uh they noticed that uh, uh pub goers were you know being hit by cars as they exited the pub right mm. uh, uh street lights are not great in johannesburg uh you know skin color being very dark very hard to see people at night and, and you know, it's a challenge for both pedestrians as well as uh, drivers, right? Yeah. So they, uh, this, 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 this pub, they created uh, ultra-reflective coasters. So when you, when, when you leave the pub, it has a Velcro you put on your shirt. And when a yeah. car is approaching, it, uh, it increases or it reflects the, the car lights 800, in 800%. 
Right. So okay. uh, ma 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 making making uh, pedestrians, you know, pub goers a lot more visible. Visible. Yeah. And that, in fact, has had reduced car accidents quite dramatically. Right. Okay. Small brand doing do, with a small action that had a big impact. So you yeah. don't you don't need the latest type of technology. You don't yeah. need uh, uh, massive budgets. All that you need is to translate your big idea into a big utility and yeah. a few other imperatives that follow follow suit. But from a you know from a marketing standpoint, you know I can see the value in that is you know uh, great. But how does you know how do people know that that's oh that's you know the whatever the name of the pub was you know the the sort of I can see the uh, the the social value of you know stopping your customers from getting mowed down. <laughs> By cars, but but how is you know does, what's the how does uh, I, I guess it's just it becomes something that gets yeah. spoken about you know yeah. yeah and I think that this is this is something that uh, I think was Ferris Ferris Jacob who wrote that on some work paper he said he, he doesn't he said something like uh, do cool shit and then talk about it don't just right. talk do yeah. something that that deserves that you know yeah. that is worth of your of your of your media dollars. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is one of those examples, right? It's something that yeah. is very PRable and uh, people will yeah. know because, you know, it generated a lot of, a lot of earned media from that. Yeah. But, but, you know, the coasters were, were themselves branded. Yeah. So uh, 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 it's something that also showcased the brand plus word of mouth, of course. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, listen, best, best of luck with that. I shall be... Um... Yeah, keeping my eye. I'll definitely keep my eye out for the for the Routledge uh, book. So that's uh, that's definitely quite an achievement. Mm -hmm. And that, and you know, I guess there's no better way to legitimise uh, something than to than to have it published uh, in an academic uh, volume. So yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. No, right. Listen, listen. Just before we go, because I wanted to talk about two things. So obviously there was that the urban brand utility. Um, I mean, we've kind of only scratched the surface there, so I might. This might be something we might want to talk about again, uh, mm. uh, another time, and go go in a bit deeper. Any time. Yeah, but I did want to. I'm always um, happy to talk about this thing. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the but I just want the other thing that you're up to, um, which is, um, so, um, with your business partner, you sort of launched this sort of mini. Uh, agency or service, if you like, dealing with one specific uh, platform or, or channel, which is, uh, and I must confess, other than having watched some stuff on it, I don't know that much about, which is, which, but it's uh, apparently the fastest growing social network. Is it a social network or is it just a broadcast channel? Uh, you, can, you, mm. can, you can tell me, uh, which is uh, TikTok. So um, tell us how that how that came about and uh, and how you're going with that. Sure. So uh, look, TikTok to begin with, uh, we don't see it as a social media platform, a social media channel, uh, because it's that's not really the purpose of it. TikTok really is, uh, I guess, the best analogy would be cable TV. Uh, you have several channels to choose from. The exp you control the experience. The, exper the, the experience is driven by an AI-driven uh, uh, algorithm 
that identifies your preferences and the things you like to serve you more content that you like sure. not which is very different from facebook uh, and a few of the other so, social media platforms so, i mean I'm, I'm not on the platform I, I try to join it but they sent me away because they said i'm too old so <laughs> but uh so it, you don't uh so it's not a social network you don't have friends on there you just follow topics and things you can yeah you 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 can you can have friends but primarily it's an entertainment channel if okay. uh, if our if our smart TVs allowed us to connect with one another that would that, that would be TikTok okay. may uh, as in, in a hardware form right yeah who knows maybe maybe it's part of their innovation pipeline to have a TV that you can interact with people as well yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah TikTok, I, I view TikTok primarily as uh, as an entertainment channel and uh, with, with a very interesting uh, proposition which is around this idea of competitive positivity yeah. uh, that uh, uh, you know that is very unique and again you know very much against uh, what uh, Instagram and Facebook have made people feel yeah. uh, from uh, you know from the very beginning, Facebook was all about projecting a persona, not really who you are. Instagram, you know, put that in steroids with the beautiful filters that make you look like a, a very handsome man yeah. or a very beautiful woman. Um, but but also generated a lot of anxiety with, with the pressures of having to look good and fashion and and you know and media mm. overall requi requiring that from people and when you go to TikTok, people are really making fun of themselves making fun of others just having a laugh without mm. trying to pretend they are someone they are not it's uh, they actually they're really bringing you know mm. the best from from inside them outside and uh because of that and because of an opportunity that we had to to run a campaign for bmw mini for the launch of uh, the, the electric vehicle, Mini Electric. Uh, we, we then had a few other clients of ours asking about TikTok and we thought, well, we should start an agency. And that's mm. how Tick My Day was born. Was was an opportunity that we that we saw on the horizon. And I guess it was Churchill who said, never, never, never waste a crisis. <laughs> so if, if yeah. anything, this crisis is, uh, have, have showed that screens have won the war, right? Sprints mm. have won. Uh, we depend on them now more than ever. And uh, uh, what people were turning to 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 feel better was TikTok. Mm. So uh, just as much as TV maybe work may have worked as as as, as uh, anti-conceptional back in the 50s and 60s, TikTok, you know, may may as well be uh, some sort of a Prozac for everyone feeling mm -hmm. anxious and depressed uh, with this this volatility in the world right now. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I was thinking, you know, I kind of looked at it a bit and I thought, oh, you know, I just uh, not sure if I if I get this platform. But then I then I just I took a step back and I just noticed my own behavior. Right. And one of the things I do, uh, you know, just from time to time on Twitter. Right. But there's a couple of accounts I follow, which is just dogs doing funny things, you know, and I can sit mm. there. I can sit there for half an hour just going through some, you know, one of these Twitter accounts with funny dog videos and just sit there and watch dogs doing funny things for half an hour. I thought this is exactly the TikTok experience where you just pick a subject you're interested in and then mm. you just sit and watch loads of little short videos of, of, of stuff to do with that. Yeah. You know? so it's really, 
the, the behavior is not that mysterious, you know, I was overcomplicating it. It's kind of, it's what I do, but that's right. But just, that's with, right. A, just with a different, uh, a different app. That, yeah, that's right. But the, the difference is on the other side and not so much the, the side of the, of, of the person who's consuming the media, but the person who's creating the content for, for the medium. Right. And, uh, and that's, and that's what TikTok uh, uh, did better than any other platform, which is this, uh, this, they brought this ease for the most boring person to be to become a creative uh, icon. Yeah. It's very very easy to be creative in TikTok. Yeah. You have so many special effects, filters, and other other gadgets that they have on the platform that uh, make it make it really fun. Makes it yeah. to, to create content. But it's not just you know fun and silly. You will find uh, philosophers. On, uh, on TikTok, you will find uh, 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 business people giving talks about how to how to invest your money. So mm. really serious topics are also being discussed on TikTok. And that's why I like to compare it to yeah. cable TV, because you have a multitude or even Netflix, you have a multitude of channels. Yeah. Uh, actually, Netflix would, would, would be a, an even better comparison because right. Netflix, you know, it's all united under under the umbrella brand of Netflix. But you have TV shows, you have um, movies, and you have all sorts of genres yeah. of yeah. movies. And you have the Netflix algorithm that also identifies your preferences. And based on that, they recommend you more content yeah. that aligns to that. Okay. So TikTok would be, would be a very similar new yeah. channel. In, the, in this in this aspect but netflix i need a whole studio and i need billions of dollars millions of dollars to to make something that is appropriate with TikTok, it's uh it, it's it's very it's a lot easier yeah. than that and it can be a lot more affordable as well but being easy doesn't mean that it's 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 idiot proof yeah. uh and that happened by by some by a very big brand that you know committed a, a big scene on TikTok, actually not on TikTok, but based on an idea that they found on TikTok, that uh, uh, one of one of the many trends that have been uh, uh, picked on TikTok is this is this, is this thing that people they, they self puppeteer themselves. So if you if if you're very flexible, if you, you can imagine two big hands coming in the camera and these two oh, big hands yeah, 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 yeah. puppeteering puppeteering your, yourself. Right. <laughs> Some Volkswagen executive may have seen that on on uh, on TikTok, <coughs> or their ad agency said, oh, there's a new trend. Why don't we ride the wave?" So they did that uh, with uh, with an ad uh, using the same technique of puppeteering a human being, but they did that using a black person and flicking that person away from the car in a way that was uh, what well, was racist. Yeah, well, yeah. basically saying yeah. you, you, you can't have this car. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically saying that you cannot have this car because you're a black person. That that was and, and it was and it was Volkswagen as well. Yeah. Yes, Volkswagen well, of all brands. Yeah. yeah, of all brands, yeah, with their origin story. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, uh, with their yeah. dark origins. Yes, yeah. that is that is true. But but I guess I guess to to your to your point, you know about having an agency that is focused on one small channel, I don't think it's something that is so new because if you look at any, any search agency, they're all Google agencies. If you look at all the social media agencies, they're all you know Facebook agencies. Right. Now, maybe it's a new breed of agency, which will be the TikTok agencies. Yeah, yeah. How do you, uh, um, 
reconcile i think there's been a bit of uh, i've seen a few articles this week i think somebody some developer had gone under the hood of TikTok and, and picked it apart and, and all the sort of uh you know various surveillance type mechanisms that are under the hood there i mean i don't know if it's any better or worse than any of these things but just as soon as you know china's involved people get the uh get frightened uh, about it i mean is it um is it better or worse or indifferent compared to you know facebook or or, or, or google in terms of what what information is gathering about about users yeah uh, yeah, th th yeah. There's been there's been a lot on the news yesterday, today still. Uh, many many of those co concerns around data breaches and uh, privacy, uh, brand safety. Uh, uh, I mean the the whole the whole cybersecurity conversation. Uh, many of those points have already been addressed by TikTok, but yeah. I think I, I don't think I am I am the best person to answer yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I think it's something that you know we'll be reading statements from TikTok. Yeah. I, I believe that uh, uh, banks are safe just as much as these platforms are safe, but glitches can happen and uh, you have very smart hackers that can do very mm. bad things. Mm. So th there is always a risk on everything. You know, if you, okay. you, you, if you drink too much water, you drown. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's a risk. So uh, would, 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 would I not spend my money on the platforms because of the risks? Uh, no, not necessarily. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, take, I'll take all the measures to avoid things to, from happening. Yeah. But I guess going, going directly to TikTok is better than having me answering that for them. Yeah. No yeah I mean, I'm not, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me uh, mm. particularly. Mm. I just, uh, it's just sort of, um, I think, yeah. you know, one what, thing. What, 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 I was yeah. going to say well, one thing I've sort of learned just throughout this whole the, the last sort of two or three months, and I kind of knew this anyway, but it's really become clear during the whole coronavirus pandemic is just how untrustworthy news is, um, mm. and, uh, because you know it changes from day to day, and 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 kind of you get conflicting opinions. It's almost impossible to determine what what is true, you know. So it's, yeah. a, it's kind of like it's that whole sort of postmodern sort of thing. There is no, you know, absolute truth. You know, which, you know, you could argue. You know, even coming from a, a a science and reason point of view, you say, well, all truth is provisional. You know, until such, you know, it, uh, until there's new evidence comes along that disproves it. But but with news and everything now, it's getting so hard to discern what is credible. You know, what's real? What is data that's just been cherry picked? to back up a point of view. So even if you see someone comes out and says, oh, you know, I've, I've unpacked this algorithm and it's doing this or that, it's like, you have to say, well, hang on, what's your motivation for revealing that information? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and also, you know, the halo effect that, you know, of, of all those things related. I mean, we, we make all of these free associations about, you know, with, with all things that we see in front of us and, and everything reinforces everything. So the yeah. fact that Facebook, you know, has been behaving so maliciously about all, all those things that you mentioned yeah. is, uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have a negative halo effect over TikTok and, you know, and overall as, as well. Yeah. Uh, brand China as well uh, is something that, uh, that 
definitely has an impact. Yeah. Uh, I, I recently wrote a piece for a branding mag about brand China and what China should be doing to overcome uh, all of this, all, all of this negativity that uh, they've been facing. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, they, 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 they are to blame on that. They, they, they've been, you know, quite irresponsible in terms of communicating uh, the pandemics in the, in the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, this could have been done in a much better uh, way as well. You know, all of the, those trade wars happening between China and the US, also China and Australia uh, are part of the issue. But on the other hand, a brand like TikTok or, you know, and, or even ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, yeah. Could, could uh, in my view, could be the brand to be championing a new image for China, a positive yeah. image. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember, um, I remember. Uh, I don't know if you know Rob Campbell. Mm. Um, so he was he was at Widens in Shanghai for years, and uh, whenever I wanted to know anything about, you know, if I was doing anything Australia or China or whatever, you know, I'd ping him an email and say, Hey, Rob, what about this? What about that? Uh, you know, because he was on the ground and there, you know, but one of the things he used to say to me, he said, that, he said, he said, thing you have to remember about China, he, said, he says, uh, you know, people in China know everything about the West, mm. yeah, but people in the West know nothing about China. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, oh, you know, that's it. And he said they're the most brand literate, you know, people yeah. in the world, you know, but obviously because the sort of consumerism as we know it is a relatively uh, yeah, new nice. phenomenon, you know, but the, but they've they've caught up really quick, you know, and it's yeah. funny, you know, when you think about think about China, you know, all the big brands, Western brands, are all manufactured in China, so they already mm. control that means of production. And you think actually, when China finally gets the hang of branding, which they gradually are, you know, then uh, you know, then it's um, the whole game has sort of changed because then they brand mm. everything and they make everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, r- right now, if you look at Brand China, it's a factory, right? They, mm. They've been the factory for the world. And uh, yeah. there's nothing there's nothing very appealing or very sexy or, uh, you know, or, or that, that you can command a, a price premium by being the factory brand. Yeah. Uh, it can be something a lot better. Yeah. Yes, interesting times right. interesting times yeah okay we've got we've gone over the hour so i think i think now you you are officially the longest episode that we've recorded of this podcast so. oh wow right so just um so ju- just to wrap up how uh so if people if anyone's interested in learning a bit more about urban brand utility um or maybe information about the you know forthcoming publications and all that and also um the um the tiktok agency yeah uh, what's it called so, tick, tick by tick by day is that what it's called that's right tick yeah, my tick, day tick my day yeah so how can tick my day.com you'll find everything you need to know okay. uh about uh, upcoming publications anyone who follows me on linkedin will see that the the the, the routledge book uh my editor gave me until the end of september to 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 send uh, the chapter uh i i believe that that chapter will be published on a journal and the book will be pub should be going to printing around december so early next year we we should have it published 
Okay, brilliant. And then, so, okay, well, you get that out of the way, and that gives you uh, gives you some time to finish your own book, which I've been... That's right, and I'll make my mum happy, and you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting for it for about, probably about three years, or two years or something. So. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Okay, cool. All right, all the best. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. It was great pleasure to spend this time with you.